Hello and welcome to Do the Impossible with Jason and Stephen, the podcast that seeks to inspire and amaze you. And now please welcome your hosts, Jason Michaels and Stephen Margatsi. Welcome to the Do the Impossible podcast with Jason and Stephen. My name is Jason Michaels. I am joined by my cohort, Stephen Bargatze. Stephen, how are you today, my friend? Hi, not much changed since last week. I'm still sitting here going crazy. Can't get on nowhere, can't get out and walk. But I did get out last night. For the first oh, night. yeah, you said you, 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 um, you, were, you went to the movies. I got to go to, uh, to the movies. Uh, not that I'm crazy, but uh, my son, Nate, uh, who I rarely ever talk about, but uh, <laughs> he rented a movie theater, just a whole theater for our family. And we all got to go see this movie that uh, I won't critique it because I thought it was horrible. But anyway, but for <laughs> the kids and they loved it. And that's what it was all about. And so, and I got to get out of my little wheelchair and that felt great to get out. So good for me. Yeah. So your, your, your foot is still in the process of healing. Is that the point? Still in the cast. I know, I know I got a minimum of two more weeks, maybe another month. What's beautiful about this is by the time people hear this podcast, you're going to be out of it and they're going to listen to the podcast and then they're going to see you somewhere and be shocked. Yeah. You know what? uh, Wait a second. I thought you were in a cast. It's exactly the same. I I have to write for the, uh, the Lincoln ring magazine being president of the IBM international brotherhood of magicians. I have to write a monthly column. So I, I, today due was February. So I'm, I'm writing about February going, I can't believe it ever came. In reality, it hasn't. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of like, I can't believe I've ever got out of this cast. Well, I haven't yet. So uh, I'm pretty excited about today because uh, when we first started, uh, but basically the idea to do this podcast and I kind of sent out a, a, a little blast to everybody. And I think you did too. And we said, hey, if we're, we're looking for people who, um, this is the idea of our podcast. We're looking for people who have stories that um, you know resonate and, and we're looking for guests and we're looking for people with stories of overcoming adversity. And, uh, and I, uh, John, who is our guest today, reached out to me and I remembered that he would be, because I remembered his story because I know John, and I was like, yes, this is a perfect guest for what we talk about. So let's uh, introduce uh, uh, my friend, and you know him as well, your friend as well, to the podcast, John Midgley. John, hey, man. It's official now. We're all friends. Now we're all friends. Oh, yeah, we have to be. We have to be. And John's not very far from us. That's what's really good to get. We didn't have to go far from home to make this happen. No, but yet we're all in other other areas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we we could all be in somebody's house, but we're not. <laughs> yeah, we are in driving distance easily. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh John, tell us uh just uh give give the 30 second intro as far as what you do and or the 90 second intro or just a little <laughs> a little clue as to who you are, what you do and and what's the story there? Yes. So uh, my name is John Midgley. Um, I'm actually a licensed clinical social worker, but I'm a psychiatric social worker. I specialize in a certain type of um, issue, and that's uh, crisis intervention and working with people who are 
um, actively suicidal or homicidal or psychotic or just things are not going well. And I've been doing that in Middle Tennessee for the last 10 years. Uh, and I've become quite a, a specialist on the subject. Um, I ran a program at for, for Vanderbilt and then this other agency, CHS, has, they stole me from Vanderbilt and on we, we go. Um, but it all started because most of us get in this type of work because there's something wrong with us. <laughs> we're not drawn in and not drawn into it just for the good of it. Normally we're trying to fix magic. Do we switch back to magicians? We're going to get there. We are okay. going to so get there. There's something wrong with most magicians also. So, oh yes. That's why we, yes. Work that great. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I was a very depressed young man um, through high school and into Initially, I went to college for music composition. Uh, that would later change into social work. But um, because of those things, discovering magic along the way, which gave me a different perspective on how to view things, and and how you know a, a tool to to use in other areas of my life, I was able to transition to a different perspective and, and approach. Um, but I very much am still engrossed in that world as I am working with people who are actively going through that, that difficult process of being in a bad place. 90 seconds on the dot. Uh, well, that's, that sounds like you have, um, it sounds like it's a very serious job and it sounds like it might be a very stressful job as well. Yes, but I have a very uh, troubled sense of humor. And uh, <laughs> as do most of us uh, in, in this line of work. So um, a lot of the ways that, that we deal through kind of traumatic, and boy, do I have some, some entertaining stories <laughs> of, of being out in the community or hostage negotiations and all kinds of things. So, wow. so really, really intense situations. And then at the end of the day, there's a group of us being lighthearted about it as a way to cope. Oh, yeah. You know, I know um, back in the day when I was seriously considering being a police officer, I knew a lot of police officers and they have some very dark senses of humor. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that's how it is with any kind of crew that, that you work with, your peers, you all kind of get a particular type of joke or a particular type of humor because you all live it. And so... I worked with a lot of police um, in the last 10 years, and I, I know what you mean. <laughs> but it's almost a defense mechanism because oh, what you're dealing with can be so traumatic. If you, take, if you take it into yourself, you have to find a way to like almost differentiate, you know, like step aside, mm -hmm. step away from it. Yeah, absolutely you do. And, and I think that's why we have that kind of sense of humor with that. It's not to be mean to the individual or, or people who are going through a difficult thing it's more of a blanket like can you believe that just happened kind of scenario so you know somebody real <laughs> these kind of real things happen so uh, a really funny example is um, having someone throw feces on you not a great thing so you are mad and you're upset and you're walking to someplace else because you got to get cleaned up and people are like oh man you had a crappy day you know yeah, stuff like yeah. that <laughs> Yeah. The biggest difference between like your dark sense of humor and Bargatze's dark sense of humor is that Bargatze says it on a stage. Yeah, I, I would I would bring that. I would definitely put that in my act. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing that I brought to, to my act is when people, and I think it was my greatest contribution to magic, people would ask me, how do you do that? We, we get that all, all the time. And the best response I have ever had and I've used for a few years is 
you got to be really lonely for about 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> you give it a two count and then you crack a smile. I found that if you go more than two count, people take it way too seriously. And if you go less, it doesn't sit long enough. That's a great answer though. That's <laughs> yeah. Well, so, you think this stuff, the magic has helped your career and what you're doing or has the career helped your magic the most? Oh, no. Uh, I will say without magic, um, I don't think I'm in this situation. I don't think I'm functioning. So my darkest time started right around 99, uh, which was shortly after the first David Blaine special. And I was into to magic growing up as a young person and watching Copperfield, but didn't didn't really perform or learn many effects. Um, but after seeing David Blaine's uh, first special and not really being familiar with magic. I was just like, I want to do this. I want to know how to do this. This is my life sucks right now. And this guy can make impossible things happen. I want to learn how to do that. And so <clears throat> I was going to school in Kalamazoo, Michigan at Western Michigan university. And I looked up the yellow in the yellow pages um, for a magic store. And there is the timid rabbit uh, owned by Anthony Gerard. A great and I, friend of mine. A great oh, guy. It's my mentor costume shop yep exactly and, uh, i'm glad you cut your hair not like him <laughs> <laughs> well he's you know tony if, if you know, see tony you know that's tony and I love um, tony. he's one of my favorite people oh man me too but my first meeting with tony is going in and saying i would like to learn how to do some magic tricks and tony then goes on to tell me what the definition of tricks is <laughs> that what he does is not tricks and he has spent his lifetime doing all these other things and just the, the spiel that like okay i don't know what i'm getting myself into so we're talking a little bit more he gives me another aspect of you i have two rules one never steal from the store and two never steal any of my material without permission but if you have to do one of those two things, steal from my store. And <laughs> we continue to talk. Wow. And then I call, I call magic tricks, magic tricks again. And he pulls out a pair of handcuffs. This is our first meeting. This is like within five minutes. I don't know what I'm stepping into. And there's a bar on the other side of, of where he was at, um, like uh, a pillar. And he's like, I'm going to handcuff you to that pillar for an hour and, or until you can figure out how to get out of those handcuffs. And to this day, 21 years later, 22 years later, I have not used the word tricks to him. <laughs> All right. I'm afraid to. Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. But that How was. How old were you at this time? Oh, I was uh, 19, 19 or 20. So I started really late in magic. But boy, did I get a, a good mentor. So I kept showing up uh, and he kept, he kept teaching me incrementally. Um, to, to this day, I mean, we, he's still who I consider my mentor. And, and the, the lessons of, of different perspectives and kind of dissecting things are tools that I use all of the time. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why I'm so good in crisis situations. Actually, part of my depression is also a, a reason why I'm really good in crisis situations. So I have a mental health diagnosis called dysthymia, which means I'm always kind of like Eeyore. So the world can be, and when I'm performing or interviewing, I'm, I'm more animated than I normally am. Um, but 
if a huge situation is flaring up and the, the world is exploding, I'm, I'm just super calm. <laughs> I, just, I just can't even show it. Like inside I might be freaking out. But then also with Tony's lessons and, and magic lessons of being able to look at things in multiple perspectives, to, to dissect things, especially to work things backwards, uh, really allows me to tackle other people's issues or attempt to um, from their perspective or what I think their perspective is and then unravel it. Hmm. That's really, you know, I have heard people talk about the things that magic has, the, the lessons of magic and how they apply in different ways. But this is, this is, I don't think I've ever heard about it like from this point of view about being able, like I've heard uh, that sometimes in the military, like commanders will have soldiers study magic because being learning how to, like you say, reverse engineer things is one of those mindset things that they like soldiers to have, to be able to figure things out on the fly mm -hmm. based on whatever situation they happen to be in. But this like yours sounds like it's uh, a very, um, very valuable skill to have for what you're doing. Well, the perspective, I, I think magic changes people's perspective. Uh, if you're um, someone just watching a performer and, and you're not familiar with magic, you get an extreme cognitive shift that happens that rattles your world and, and makes you question what's real and what isn't. And that, that's, a, that's a fantastic thing to, to experience. And then going through the process of becoming a magician and, and performing magic, you that other element seems to dissipate, at least in, in my experience, and, and you, per, you perceive it differently. Mm -hmm. um, and then, but there's a whole other facet of things that you can dissect and look at and, and figure out from there. So it's, it's so multidimensional. I think it's really hard to hit on all the different points. Um, yeah, on, sure. Well, what's on what the point that got you, you know, being a music major, so, I mean, looking into music, all of a sudden, I'm going to go into social stuff works. And I mean, how did it, how did all this transpire? What happened? Maybe I'm asking what happened. <laughs> no, to you? This, yeah. What, hap what happened to you, John? That's a good question. Yeah, John. How in the world did this happen? <laughs> well, clearly, I never wanted to make any money. So I wanted to. <laughs> well, both of those professions is fine. Magician or social. You Magician, really social work, musician. Yeah. You Ain't will. nobody getting paid, right? Okay. <laughs> so um, it, the, the transition, I think, happened um, a couple life events, um, but one of the big ones being my father almost died that year, and he's fine, um, but had to have heart surgery, and it was really touch and go for, for quite a while. And that, that was a I, – I dropped out of school for the remainder of that year because I, I couldn't function at that point. Um, and so then it's a real hard look and trying to like, what am I going to do? Like, how am I, how am I going to rebuild? Do I want to rebuild? Those kind of questions came up. And, and as I was talking before that, we all kind of people who go into this line of work typically have our own issues. And first it's about trying to fix ourselves before trying to fix other people. Um, I think that's what happened. I was looking for a way to, to understand what was going on in my own psyche. And so I think that's what drove me to social work. Um, the other thing with music, um, it started not being as much fun um, when I was doing it 
24 hours a day and it just it lost its appeal or or maybe because of life circumstances my view of it changed but that was the transition well it's interesting if you think about it because music and magic i mean maybe there's the element of music where it's not always a performing art in front of an audience there's like the if you the recording and stuff like that but they're both performing arts they're both putting what you do out into the world so it's there's obviously an element of you that enjoys that creativity enjoys yes. what happens when you're sharing that with other people plus music and i think of music and magic very parallel um so i very very much come from kind of a fitzky uh, point of view where there's so many different effects one can do and it's how you orchestrate it and put it together similar to like with music you have only so many notes and styles and it's how you put it together and the timing and all these other things so you get two different effects one is just you know music and the other one is a, a different type of experience um, with with the pandemic going on and not being able to perform magic um, one of the things that I really like about magic is you can't learn it all. There's always more to learn. There's always more stuff to go through. And um, I, I like that. And, and because of that and not performing magic, I picked up like, I want to learn how to draw. So for the last year, <laughs> I've been drawing like incessantly. And, and, and I find that that also mirrors music and magicianship. And so it's just never ending, which is cool. So you, um, so you went into social work and then you say that you kind of specialize in, it seemed like a very extreme mm, element yeah. of that. And was there, um, were, were there some specific events that occurred? Was it a general interest? <laughs> this is like fun. you said, there's a lot of stories. There's gotta, I mean, there's gotta be, some, I don't know what it is, but what, what led you to, you know, people in dire circumstances. Well, first it was personal uh, desperation. So I had, I had gone back to school. I was working as a social worker doing case management in Michigan. And, um, and then the state cut our funding off, but they still wanted us to pay, like to work, but they weren't going to pay us. I'm <laughs> like, this is insane. So I look at my girlfriend, now wife, and I'm like, you okay if I go back to school? And she's like, sure. So, I go for my master's degree in social work and I, I complete that and uh, I could not get a job in Michigan. Now I had worked at uh, like a crisis step down uh, in, in Michigan before and that was for people who had gone to an inpatient facility and then they would step down before ultimately going home and I was doing counseling in groups there and I did enjoy that. So I looked up crisis work uh, and I found a place in, in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, had a job opening. And so it was between where my parents lived and where my wife's parents lived. So between Michigan and Florida, and then my grandparents lived in East Tennessee. So it seemed like a, a natural fit. So I started working for the mobile crisis team in Davidson County. And that's when I really, that's, that's when I learned <laughs> about wow. the, the insanity and, and amazement of, of, real mental health crisis while it was going on so are people and it just in the stuck south with me. crazier than people in the north no i, I would not say that, that. <laughs> wait i should let yeah i'll let you guys answer that do you know the answer you both tour 
I, I'll tell you one thing, people in the South are crazy drivers. They, I don't know about the North, but it seems like <laughs> lately, like it's been insanity here. Yeah, that's a, yes, yes. Uh, especially if there's ice. Oh my goodness, watch out right. world. Um, but <laughs> so let's see. So I start, I, I take this job doing mobile crisis work overnights on the weekends. It's what I can get. They're paying me dirt. It's whatever. I need to work. So here I am. And uh, one of the first shifts I work was a uh, Halloween night and it just exploded. We had police bringing people in. We had like stuff going everywhere. So without getting into too many specifics, one of my first nights working there with two other people, um, we had seven, six or seven severely psychotic people all running around the office and police officers like trying to maintain stuff and bodily fluids and just it was so insane that you look in your head you're just kind of like is this really happening um but that's when I knew like oh I can do this because I'm not everybody else is freaking out and I'm just like all right well let's just do this my superpower <laughs> of dysthymia kicked in and I was like well this is why I have it so all right let's do it so it's almost like uh it's it's almost like one of your superpowers in what oh. you do Oh, for sure. So I, you take that, you take what that perceived weakness is and, and you, you utilize it. And that's what I do in, in crisis situations. Plus having gone through similar situations, not necessarily the psychosis part, but the depression part and, and not being able to function. And, and because of those things, it gives me the opportunity to kind of join with someone um, a lot of times people feel really alone in those situations and to have some kind of connection that somebody is getting me that that might be all you need in that moment to get a person out of that crisis. So there's, I truly believe there's a reason why I'm built this way and I went through the stuff that I did so that I can help other people, hopefully. Wow. Yeah, I think by far the reason why we have our experiences and so then we can in turn to use those to help other people when i was a teen i tried to take my life twice once not very serious and once very serious and uh i said a couple times even on here if it wasn't for god i wouldn't be here i don't belong i didn't belong here because i i made the wrong choice mm. and it was the wrong choice and i was given I, I was very blessed and given a second chance and stuff but i think the point where you say, yeah, yeah, I think that sometimes you go through stuff so you can help people go through stuff. And that's what, when I speak on schools, sometimes I do speak on that, uh, on that topic. I always feel very inadequate. Like, well, I have nothing to tell you or to say. I can just tell you what I went through and why and, and what the reasons was and just how wrong I was. And, uh, but when you first, when you get somebody in a crisis or when somebody's going through this, and their minds are going crazy. Mm -hmm. right. So you just said, so the first thing you try to do is let them know that somebody understands them where they're at. Mm -hmm. To get them from that. Uh, which I could see that being very, very important. That, that, that I believe that you believe that, that you know. Well, what would be, just what are some of the steps? And maybe also what are some of the signs if you have a friend that something that you, you don't, you know, we all got mm -hmm. these friends that say stuff all the time. When do we go, you know what, this is getting serious. I really need to, they need help. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's, I'll start uh, with kind of signs and then the kind of approaches right. I take into 
pulling someone into kind of a safer space. Um, first, actually before that, let's normalize it. So people, there's a certain level of people feeling ashamed if they have suicidal thoughts, if they've had suicide attempts, but there's actually nothing to be ashamed about. It's easy for me to say from this perspective, but the reason why um, is that typically suicidal thoughts is a reaction to the fight or flight system. So you are in a situation where your, your primal brain is saying either I got to attack this thing or I got to run away. So if a person's stuck and they like, I, I, there's nothing to attack, so I got to flee and get out of here, but there's no way for you to flee or get out of there. That's where, well, if I'm not alive, I, I can get out of this situation. So ironically, suicide can be a, an effect of a survival mechanism. Whoa. So if you put it into those terms for someone, okay, my brain's doing what it's supposed to do. Um, so, so let's recalibrate. And if, if you can find a different way to, to, to get out that doesn't involve death, um, then other options show up. Um, and I could go into more statistics of if you change one element of somebody's plan for suicide, typically they won't go through with it because your, your will to survive is so strong and so ingrained that that will take over. It takes a lot of effort to actually override your survival instincts. Um, things to look for. Um, and again, we are all susceptible to these things. Um, if someone suddenly is losing a lot of interest in things. A lot of people, a lot of performer friends of mine I've talked to on the phone or, or uh, Skype or Zoom, and, and they're feeling depressed because they're, they're extroverts and they're not getting kind of emotionally recharged by, by doing the things that they do. And so they're, they're home and their emotional battery is draining and then they don't have the energy to, to really do things because they aren't getting rejuvenized and that can disrupt your sleep and that can disrupt your appetite. So if you notice someone stops taking care of themselves, um, no longer really bathing. Now, it, this is a pandemic. So if people aren't changing out of their pajamas, you know, it might just be because it's a pandemic, but you can always ask. There's no harm in, hey, I just want to make sure you're okay. I noticed X, Y, and Z. Um, if somebody starts gaining a lot of weight or losing a lot of weight, that's typically showing you there's a, been a change in appetite. Uh, and if someone is losing a lot of weight real fast and stops eating, that is very, very concerning. Um, somebody is not sleeping or so anxiety ridden that they, they're going days without sleep, that, that's a big red flag. Um, and another thing to know is if you do go days without sleep, everybody is susceptible to start having hallucinations. It doesn't mean you have schizophrenia. It doesn't mean you have something else. Just anyone who goes long enough without sleep will start hallucinating. And if you can't take care of yourself because you just haven't gotten adequate rest or whatever it may be, that's another big significant red flag. Uh, people making up excuses why they can't spend time with you or talk to you and they're always busy, always got something else to do, yet they're never doing anything. That's a red flag. And the biggest flag, the biggest of the red flags, they start giving stuff away. Um, so if you know someone and they are suddenly giving away possessions that you wouldn't expect them to give away, like the Nashville incident, right? There was that guy, he gave away his property right before he did what he had done to somebody in California. So there, there are, 
there's a bunch of little signs there. And if you notice that something is happening or you are concerned or you just have a feeling, uh, sometimes just your instinct because you know somebody enough, your subconscious may be like something's not quite right. And if, you just ask, are you okay? Yeah. I, I just want to make sure you're okay. I want you to know that, that you're important to me and I'm, I'm just concerned. And if you're okay, that's great. But if you're not, I, I want to know because I, I want to be there to be able to help you. And, and that's really how you, that's the first yeah. step into bridging that, that lonely island, so to speak. Yeah. Well, let me ask you, what about, uh, you're, a lot of this is stuff that we noticed. What are some things, and, and it's probably some of these all same things, but that we can self diagnose ourselves well, am i getting in uh, you know am i making sense asking the question uh, yeah i know what you're saying yeah like how do you know that you're not doing so well and that the real trick to that is by having someone else point it out to you so and the reason why is the old um saying about the boiling frog you're too close to it, it happens so gradual you don't realize kind of how far things can get until you know you're so far down the the rabbit hole or or somebody points it out to you and and the reason why and family may not notice that what's going on with somebody too because they're so close to it i used to do this with kids when i worked with them it wouldn't be a spoon i've been working on spoon bending but it'd be like my pen and i would hold it under my chin and i would say cuz families would ask questions of well, how come we didn't see this before? And then a whole different type of self-loathing goes on. And so we have to normalize this. And I'm just like, so if I ask you where my pet, my, well, spoon is, do you, can you see where my spoon is? Yeah. Yes. Can I see where my spoon is? Nope. No. Why can't I see where my spoon is? Because I'm too close to it. So you have to have different perspective. And that's kind of what a therapist will bring or, or an outside person but a therapist is trained for those different perspectives um, so that you get different angles and and you can get more of the full picture that you of what's going on so da vinci always drew things when he was studying in three different perspectives because he wanted the full view in his sketches so so he could have the full vision and i look at that with crisis work i look at that with magic i look at that with many things uh, and i'll never see the full perspective of it because it's different for every person. Wow. You know, it's interesting. You uh, you would only be at a magician's conversation when somebody says, oh, I'm just going to use this spoon because I'm working on my spoon. <laughs> <laughs> to a normal person, they have no idea what that means. Why are you in an office setting and, and using a spoon? Yeah. And it's it's funny. That's the other thing. So I, I've, been, I've been really infatuated with complicated sleight of hand for a long time. And my wife has not been impressed by anything I have done in 10 years. She loves watching me perform for other people, but her herself does not get uh, wowed. And so uh, I actually have been working at becoming a mentalist. And so Richard Osterlin has taken me on as a student and I have done things for her that are not complicated, that has blown her mind. And hence spoons are with me all the time. I think I might have a new career move in mind from this is a good idea. Good thing to know. Yeah. <laughs> I've noticed that you said that you can sometimes friends notice. 
uh, our last podcast, uh, I noticed that my fellow podcaster that I share this with shaved his own head off. And I was beginning to wonder that, that, if, that Jason needed help. Yeah. And, um, he, Did you ask him if he was okay? I was just about to. Now, you can see a little bit of growth. He's kind of like a chia pet there. <laughs> His hair is starting to grow back. So I'm going to relax. <laughs> I got a look, and I got it going on all over now. So yeah, it's yeah, the whole yeah, thing. Yeah. yeah. See something well, on, on top and the side there. It was a little freaky last week. <laughs> it was a little freaky. Well, then again, I mean, we're in a pandemic. So a lot of people are. I had my wife cut my hair today. She doesn't know how to cut hair, but that's who cuts my hair. <laughs> so and she did a great job. I want to know if you've ever used. So you, you're, have you ever used magic in your mm. work? Yes. Yes, I have. Um, so I specialized, and it's not just with kids, but there was a period of several years where I developed, um, I was the sole uh, assessor for kids in crisis for Vanderbilt for, oh my gosh, a number of years. And, and uh, the I've, I've used magic as a way to show that the impossible is possible. I know that's kind of your theme too, Jason, but I, I've used it f for years as well um, because that's, tool. It, it is, it, and it gives one, I just want to plant a seed that even though you cannot see a way out of this now, you don't know how things can be different. Well, we just did something where you don't know how it happened or what it happened but if you ever wanted to learn how to do that or to get to a different place, you find someone who knows how to do that and you learn from them, um, which is what I did with magic with, with Tony Gerard. And that's what people do with therapists to get to a, a different perspective. So I will to normally when things aren't as intense, I don't have someone who's like psychotic and throwing feces and I'm like, pick a card. Right. Right. <laughs> They're like here's some feces. No, I don't do that. But um, if someone is in a uh, where they're probably going to go home and, and work with an outpatient therapist, and I try to describe what therapy is like, I'll do a demonstration so they have something concrete, especially for young people, because they just can digest concrete things much more easily than abstract things um, mm -hmm. just because of brain development. So I've, mm -hmm. I've used magic a lot. In fact, right before the pandemic, I was getting ready to do my mental health magician show that I've been working on for two years. I remember you talking about this. Yeah, yeah, you were talking about it online. I did a lot of stuff. And then I, I came to one of the Nashville clubs too. And I was talking to you all about it as well there. And, uh, and I had it all set up. I was going to start touring schools. I had a projector and everything else. Supposed to start in April. March came. <laughs> Well, I tell you what, though, the schools are, they're kind of gradually opening up. I had, I had two contact me today about wanting to know when we're starting, that they were starting next week and where we'd be willing to come in. Now, it's going to be, I'm doing a lot smaller. I'm just doing classrooms instead of the assemblies right now. But there's nothing more needed than that in schools. Yeah, with the pandemic and everything, and we know that suicides is on the rise, that depression's on, you know, not being essential, and not be, you know, and it's tough on kids right now. So I hope we don't give that up. I think it's and I still do those. I I still get um, 
contacted. I, I don't do kid shows uh, yeah. anymore, but I still get contacted to do them. And what I've been doing instead, and maybe you guys can give me guidance if this is the right thing or not, um, is I've been offering to just do a, like 15, 30 minute session with them performing some stuff on, on a video call. And if they wanted to learn in effect, I would teach them. Okay. So, so I've been doing that for the community um, as yeah. opposed to so I have, so I will, there's two things that uh, I want to know about, and I'll just, I'll just ask you both of them, and then you can just field them however you want to. Number one, uh, dealing with this pandemic, how has that affected, uh, pre-pandemic, you were probably seeing things a little bit differently, seeing cases and uh, mm -hmm. of what people were dealing with, and, and it's probably, it's, 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 it's probably a lot of similar things now that are different than pre-pandemic. So what are you seeing now? And then the other thing you mentioned hostage negotiations. I am, I would love to hear at least a little bit about that. Sure. Um, so I, I've been very fortunate as you and I were talking prior to, to recording this, that my work has transitioned um, to a place where I, I now am, in a safe environment. I get to work from home doing telemedicine with 44 hospitals across the country. Uh, and, I, and I'm seeing people through that way. The thing that I'm noticing uh, a lot is, is one, as Stephen already pointed out, depression is on the rise. Um, people are having a really hard time and justifiably so. And uh, people are getting really anxious too, because things keep Get it, the numbers keep going up for, for deaths and what's going to happen to me. And so then we run into that situation I was talking about before where somebody stops sleeping and all of a sudden they're psychotic and they've never been psychotic before. And so I've been seeing more of those situations. Um, the other thing is people who have COVID are going through these things and not able to get treatment. Mm. Um, because psychiatric hospitals won't take them because they don't want to take a COVID positive patient on the, on the unit or a COVID positive patient shows up on the unit and now they have to close that unit down for a couple of weeks. Um, so with all things, uh, if you're going to be successful, you have to take what's not working and kind of reconfigure it and come up with new models and new systems. So, so that's been happening now. So we've been trying to figure out ways, how do we get people treated in a non-psychiatric setting, in a, you know, whether it's an emergency department or a medical floor, so that they're not just sitting there and nothing's happening, because that's not helpful. Um, so we've been working on processes on, on how to get people treatment who can't get treatment. Now, we're nowhere near close to where it should be, but we are at least moving and trying to make those things happen. Um, as far as hostage negotiation goes, um, it's, it's, it's similar to, to any kind of crisis intervention. So you want to know, one, you want them to know that they have a partner involved. Um, you want to build some kind of rapport and alliance with that individual. And um, through that, you want to get to a point where it's almost like a friendship. And then you work together, at least that's, that's how it's presented, so that you can get the needs met of the person who is in disarray, but also keep everybody safe. 
Um, and a lot of times it's normalizing and bringing things back to, to center. People aren't thinking clearly when they're doing these things. They are acting from an emotional mind. Um, and, and if you can bring them back into that logical mindset of how is this going to benefit you? What is it that you need? How do we get you what you need? If you do this, does this get you what you need? And a lot of times it ends up with no. <laughs> um, so if you can get them to kind of realize their own things. Hmm. Um, wow. Yeah. Other times. Okay. One of my favorites. <laughs> well, here we go. This is what I was hoping for. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, sometimes it's just having that different perspective. So I'm, again, I'm not going to go into specifics because of HIPAA and everything, but there was a situation where somebody was uh, locked into their, their place and there was a hostage situation going on and there were knives and people were talking about like, can we get the robot of the bomb squad thing in there to... <laughs> see what's going on and he's paranoid that's gonna freak him out and no one knows what to do and I was pleading with them to let me approach the door and and let me ask one th let me just do one thing let me do one thing no 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 hours and hours go by finally they're like well okay he hasn't done anything for hours okay you can do that I knocked on the door and said I got your cigarette for you out here and he came out took a cigarette that's all I so one of the things with people who are psychotic, a lot of time comes nicotine dependence. Oh. And so if, you're, you're just not thinking. You're not, so in that situation, you have to think not how a rational person would think, but how is somebody in this situation thinking? And I'm sure that they are craving a cigarette because that is part of what is going on with this situation and wow. came right out. No, wow. no hassle, no ro robots. Wow. <laughs> That's awesome. It that is, is awesome. And it's just that different perspective, that different, let's just look at it a different way. Dude wants a cigarette. Let's go. <laughs> that, you know, that's really fascinating. I mean, that really is literally looking at it from like 180 degrees. Like it's, I can imagine all the police officers are seeing it from one very specific point of view. Yeah, we, we were told there's a person inside, they have weapons inside, we believe there's someone else inside, they won't come out. Yep. So we've got to tackle it from this. And then I'm coming from a different, like, what's the history, what's the background, what, I want to learn as much about this individual as I can, and then I put enough together to be like, you know, I bet you this will work, because <laughs> I, I had used it in other situations before. Um, that weren't as intense as that one. And so that's what made me think, I'm just going to ask this guy, like, tell him I got a cigarette outside. So, bam, there you go. And, and then, I mean, you still need help and stuff from there, but the first step is let's get everybody safe. <laughs> it's almost like classic misdirection, right, Stephen? Oh, man. Yeah, perfect. Perfect. <laughs> wow. Right. That was a, that's fun. Yeah. Like when you get a moment like that, that's you're just like, ah, oh, yes, I did something right today. I gave somebody a cancer stick and it made everybody better. <laughs> Stephen, do you have any questions that strike to you? No, I'm glad that he's out there doing this. I hope that he goes back. I, I mean, I do high schools. I don't consider them kids shows at all. No. And, uh, no. and I don't treat them as kids. They definitely need to be treated the same as probably we do adults, even in entertaining them. If you, if you, 
at one time treat those treat them as kids they're going to run you out of the gym it's so true uh, when i when i specialize with just working with young people and in crisis situations um, I never referred to them as, as children. I, I called them a young person. That's what yeah. I always referred to them as. Um, and I had a few of them point that out. So, you know, yeah. no, and that's that other perspective, knowing that they want to be viewed as a different way than how they're viewed. And then treating that with respect gets you a lot farther than. It's like going into a magic shop and saying you want to learn tricks. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> you get handcuffed to a boat. Oh. That's right. That's right. If you go in there and go, oh, I like kids. I won't do my kids show today. <laughs> you know, the first trick I do, and I talk with it in, in my show with high school, is I do the trick where I say, I said, first trick I ever saw, a magician came to my high school. He cut a rope in half. I thought he cut it. I thought it was fake, but he really cut it. Cut it again, had two pieces, I thought. But clearly those scissors are fake. Nope, they're real. Cut them again, and you, you have to count them, and you have to go. Okay, that's eight. I went to school in Kentucky. And then you go, I saw he pulled a piece out like this, a piece out like that, snapped his fingers, and went back together. When you open your hand, they all fall out. And you go, I don't know how he did it. Get that guy, he's really good. And uh, you know what, that, for me, I started off as a joke I just did opening up for Mike King. And then, but it became the perfect trick in high school. Because when I first walk out there, they think this guy must think that he's so, he's going to trick me, that he knows more than I do. I'm going to catch him on everything. And then the first trick, you don't even do nothing. You just disarm him right away. Yeah, go, oh, okay, this guy, he, he's all right. Yeah, that's brilliant. Uh, yeah, yeah. And that's really what your cigarette did. You know, it's just like, oh, okay, Pat. This uh, someone gets me. <laughs> somebody out there really understands what what I'm going through and things like that. Absolutely. But when you're when you're away from this business and stuff, tell us about the magic and the performing that you do. Um, a, a lot of parlor. I, I did a lot of parlor magic, uh, private shows. Uh, I did work regularly for the Melting Pot in Nashville and Rodizio Grill. Um, Which is no longer there. No. Uh, so I reached out to them and they're trying to, the bombing is what um, Steven's referring to. So the bombing downtown that took place on Christmas, 2020. It was almost right in front of them. Yes. It decimated those two, two places. So um, they're trying to figure out how to rebuild and everything there, but I've been in contact with them and, and talked about doing a fundraising thing for them. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's cool. But that, uh, a lot of it is, is parlor. I really enjoy parlor. Um, and then transitioning to a, a mentalist, I figure that same kind of environment would be good as well. Uh, but I still really love sleight of hand. That's, that's hard for me. <laughs> well, we always kid. And believe me, I'm kidding. Because, but I, always, I said that uh, we have to do, uh, in my regular show, I use people in every trick, and I know yeah. Jason does a lot too. But every trick involves somebody coming up and helping me. And I go, golly, I'm going to have to start doing mentalism now, so people can, so I can get disconnect with the audience and put them over there. And, they, and it's not fair to say that. There's some very good mentalists. John Archer is one of my favorites. Yeah, I can name some other guys that are very, very entertaining, and what they do. But uh, it just seems like that's just the way. The, there's nothing wrong with being just a mentalist, but I, I'm, I'm like myself. I always liked enjoying that I had to do something more than just know a secret. 
Right, right. Uh, I've one of the things I've noticed, at least working with Richard Osterland, is the the different mindset and the different way of thinking about effects. So I, I really think like a magician after twenty some years of doing this of of trying to cover everything, trying to make everything perfect. Um, yeah. Nothing can be seen, and then you're talking to you know an established mentalist who's like, "Don't worry about." It. <laughs> <laughs> I you don't have that. to do that. You you you're you're distracting them a different way. You're doing it differently. You don't have to make the perfect sleight of hand move. I worked for years to be able to do a one-handed uh, double lift that is kind of like my thing, and it's beautiful. But only magicians think it's cool. <laughs> yeah. I agree. I've been there. I, I want to know with hard sleight of hand is that only the people that are in the know <laughs> truly appreciate yeah. it. Right. <laughs> when you do it in the show, all the magicians will go, oh. Not and bad. Not bad. Yeah. He ain't done nothing yet. Yeah. You know, it was great when he, he dropped those pieces of rope. That was really good. That was good. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> right. right. That was bullet. How do you, uh, like, I know Richard. I've worked with Richard several times. What where do you go from the point where you just go, we'll just buy my books and take to the point where you go, I'm going to call him and uh, tell him that, I want you. That's, that's a really good question. Uh, I think part of it is investment. Um, so I, I owned a lot of his, his material, and I've always flirted kind of with, with learning um, mentalism, but have always been a close-up magician. I've always been a parlor-style sleight-of-hand artist. And it was during this pandemic of kind of stopping and think I was working a lot of shows on the weekend. So I worked my regular, you know, day job. And then I was either traveling and, and doing shows on the weekend. And so I was having fun just doing what I was doing, but things slow down and then I start reevaluating. And then my audience becomes my wife. Who's not been impressed in 10 years. <laughs> like, I like, I just, I, I want to learn something else. And, um, so that's when I really dove into it and, and was really dissecting it and then reached out. And I tell you, having someone go through it with you step by step and, oh. and dissecting and, and, and dissecting what your thinking process is. So he's at, how are you thinking about this? And then analyzing that. Um, yeah. Are you still picking your tricks and going, Richard, I want to learn. I'm doing these three tricks and I want to talk about those. Or does he go, ah, this is where you need to start? Nope. We, uh, he, so before uh, he would start private sessions with me, you, you had to submit and do other things. You had to, I think, be a certain criteria first. Um, and then um, we outlined a show. Uh, I wanted a show. And so that's that was outlined. We went through and then we started talking about the ins and outs and specifics of, of those effects. And then um, I've been with with anything difficult that seems overwhelming that is not possible. I, I try to dissect into at least an hour a day. I'm going to work on this for at least an hour a day. That was actually inspired by uh, Jason telling me you were on my podcast when I used to have ago. one years ago. Yeah, when you did your book, and I was like, "How'd you write a book, man?" And you're like chunk at a time, a little bit every day, a little bit every day. And mm -hmm. so that's how I've been tackling these difficult big pro projects is at least an hour a day. And that all adds up over time. So that's how I've been. Uh, like I said, I've been doing a lot of 
drawing and artistic stuff that way and then, and then um, with the mentalism stuff. And so I just plug away. And then when I hit a wall, I will reach out to Richard again and say, hey, let's go yeah, over this, perfect. please. That's cool. Yeah. That's really art cool. Going to be, it's going to be easy for you to incorporate art into your magic too. I can see that happening. I thought about that. Yeah. Uh, really... There's so much stuff out there that with art, that'll be pretty simple. Mm-hmm. But I let's say, I want to see something. <laughs> yeah, man, you've been saying you do magic, so you got to show it off. All right, let's All see. Right. I, after saying I love doing sleight of hand, um, but I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to do sleight of hand. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, there you go. Now we know how this is done. Uh, sleight of mind, uh, something. Okay. Um, but so so this will relate with kind of what we've been talking about, tackling really difficult things or things that seem impossible. I remember the first time I saw, I was, I was in magic for, for a while. I was in graduate school and that was the first time I had seen Vernon perform his cups and balls. And realizing what he was doing on this video, at least elements of it, I thought I am never gonna be able to do that. <laughs> that is amazing. And that's one of my favorite things to do now. It took me a long time, but I, I, I perform his cups and balls. Similar with uh, Paul Gertner has this effect that seems way too difficult. Why would anybody learn how to do this? Unshuffled? Well, if you insist. So. <laughs> All right, this is great. Yeah, yeah. So I'll I'll do my best. We have we have these cards that are mixed, and it's talking about. Uh, Paul was talking about. Um, find a, a card in a different way. So again, a different perspective than what we were thinking about. And for the uh, viewers at home and, and for the people who are just listening to it, I'll try to describe what's happening. So I'm going to riffle through and we'll just say that the old stop game. So I'm riffling. Someone say, perfect. All right. So I want you to look at that card. I'll pretend that I can't see it in the camera. Okay. <laughs> and we'll put it back in the deck. Now the deck is mixed up. And Paul talks about, you've seen a magician take a card, lose it into a deck, and then find it again. But you've never seen someone, or shuffle the, the deck and then find the card, but you've never seen someone unshuffle a deck to find a card. And I saw him do this. So we, we have little, little markings on here, but uh, what a, how you unshuffle is you take a perfect cut of 26 and 26 cards, and then you mix them. Uh, I haven't performed in so long. Watch me not be able to do it. It'll be awesome. 26 into 26. Exactly. A perfect shuffle or a perfect unshuffle. <laughs> and we would know that it works because it starts to say unshuffled four times. Hopefully you can see that on the camera. Yep, 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 yep. And so we'll give them another unshuffled. Perfect 26 into 26. A perfect unshuffle and we know it works because now it says unshuffled twice nice so we should let's uh go ahead and give these cards um one more unshuffle perfect 26 into 26 that wasn't as pretty but whatever the end result is the same it now says unshuffled Ta-da! That, the the thunderous cool. applause, applause of, of President Bergazzi and Jason Michaels is deafening. I know it. 
but now I have to find your card. I mean, it's one thing to show that it says unshuffled, but if we look at the cards, they actually are unshuffled. They're all in new deck oh, order. Nice. So, so perfect. So now we've got to discover uh, the other cards. So I'll go ahead and we'll give them one more unshuffled as we square it up. Nice. That's it. That's it. Nice. That is great. I haven't done. Oh, I haven't done that in forever. It felt good. Well, this has been fantastic, John. We really appreciate really, really the Dave. podcast and sharing your thoughts with us and your magic and your stories. Are there any any last thoughts that you want to share at all or anything at all? Yeah, I just hit on that um, that to do the impossible or to to learn how to do something that's impossible. I really recommend you find someone that knows how to do it, who has done it, uh, try to connect with them and, and learn from them. I think that's, that's the greatest way to, to learn the, the skills that you want to know. Hey, big thank you uh, for being on the show. And um, if, if folks want to reach out to you, uh, if they want to connect with you to learn more about your magic, how do they do that? Uh, you can find me on Facebook, uh, Instagram, uh, my website's probably the easiest place, which is John, uh, John B. Midgley.com. So just J O H N B M I D G L E Y.com. All right. Thanks guys. Y'all have a great rest of the day. Take care. Thank you for listening to do the impossible with Jason and Steven. Please subscribe for future episodes. Our home on the internet is jasonmichaelsmagic.com forward slash podcast. That's jasonmichaelsmagic.com forward slash podcast. To contact us, please visit the website and fill out the form. Now go out and do the impossible in your world.